Hey everyone, uh, thanks for tuning in today. We have a really special episode for you waiting, so uh, I just want to hop on. I, I appreciate you guys all taking the time to listen to the Castell Education Podcast. Brett and I are truly humbled by all the positive uh, you know, feedback and uh, things you guys have said, and so as always, uh, we really appreciate each and every one of you. Um, buckle up, this is kind of a longer episode, so we, we kind of apologize for that. However, it was really important for us to dive into some of the things that Dr. Muma really had to talk about, and, and we think it's a really important uh, topic and, and something that we can all always get a little bit better at and so um have fun and enjoy the show we'll keep going all right, guys. Well, with that being said, <laughs> welcome to our newest episode of the Gestalt Education Show. Uh, I'm Dr. Taylor Premier, along with my co-host, Dr. Brett Winchester. Today, we are uh, lucky to be sitting down with Dr. Lindsay Muma. So, Dr. Muma is the owner of Triangle Chiropractic and Rehab in Raleigh, North Carolina. She also has a special niche for uh, being a female health expert, all the way from uh, the start of pregnancy to the end and after. And uh, we're really excited to be here in St. Lewis with her teaching uh, the MPI full spine seminar. So um, tonight we're uh, we just got done with a great dinner and uh, we're we're having a little bottle of Shea wine cellars all the way from Willamette Valley in Oregon. It's the 2016 estate. It's beautiful. So uh, Brett and I have been lucky enough to be there uh, at the vineyard and and check it out. And it's uh, it's a gorgeous spot. So anyway, with that being said, Dr. Muma, we're uh, really lucky to be sitting down with you today. So um, let's kind of start with uh, your niche with female health. Uh, where did it all begin? Um, kind of, you know, how, how did it start in your community and, and kind of how, how it's, where are you at now? We'll put it that way. Well, so now I'm in a very different place than I, than where I started because I did not start in women's health. I mean, I think I probably drew more of of a female population, but statistically speaking, more females see chiropractors than males do. So that was kind of already working in my favor, I guess, in that, in that way. But I intended to have a, uh, a functional model practice. I wanted to see athletes. I figured that I would see, you know, my patients who got pregnant, but I didn't intend to see pregnant patients. Um, and I took care of some of them kind of as I, I thought I would. And then my husband and I decided to get pregnant and I realized like, I really did not know nearly enough about pregnancy to feel like I was I was going to be making an informed decision. I was like, okay, I know the basics here, like the birds and the bees, but I don't really have any more information about like what being pregnant mm. is gonna be like. And what's that gonna be like for me as a doc? And what's it gonna be like for me as an athlete? And what's it gonna be like for me in the postpartum period? And so I kind of did a little bit of a deep dive. And just as I was learning things, you know, having conversations with, with patients and then, having conversations with uh, friends or colleagues or whoever, they would say, oh, well, you know, Lindsay is looking into that or Dr. Muma is, you know, checking that stuff out. And so it kind of started spreading a little bit more. So as I started looking into pregnancy more, I started to just see more pregnant patients, which then gave me more experience in seeing pregnant patients. Um, and then, uh, you know, I got pregnant and that, that experience taught me a lot about pregnancy. 
And, and again, like helped me fill in the gaps of what I didn't know. So like I'd already gotten a doctorate and I did intentional planning for getting pregnant and I still felt like there's so much that I didn't know. Um, and so I just, I, I just kept diving essentially. I was like, okay, well I need to know more about the female cycle and I need to know more about like pelvic floor function and realized, okay, well all of this rehab stuff that I've done is, has set me up for recognizing core and pelvic floor dysfunction and the time that it shows up the most is during pregnancy and in postpartum and so i felt pretty equipped from a biomechanical standpoint to you know continue to help patients in that way but i just felt like there was so much about pregnancy like i've been a woman my whole life like how do i not know more about this stuff and um and so as i kept learning you know it just it, it brings more people in the door and then those people coming in the door bring more people in the door and now i i mean probably 60 to 70 percent of my patients are pregnant or postpartum Mm -hmm. and that's kind of you know and then i see their families and friends and loved ones and things like that and we still get like the you know high school athlete with knee pain and the you know crossfitter with shoulder pain and the weekend warrior and somebody who's got low back pain from work but it's it's a lot of prenatal and postpartum care so it's completely different than what i thought i was going to be doing i when i graduated from palmer i had like just under 600 continuing ed hours i was like at a seminar every weekend i was like trying to hang out with brad as much as i possibly could um and i had like two courses in pregnancy that was it the rest of it was like all rehab and um so it was, it's not at all what I thought I was going to be doing. What's the biggest misconception with treating uh, the pregnant patient? Like, what what are the things that kind of shocked you? I guess that that might be different than what our listeners, other people, might think. Well, I think a lot of people, like, there are some patients who come to me. They're like, "Well, my chiropractor doesn't see pregnant patients," and like, what a disservice. I think. Uh, I think that. I think during school we tended to get a little bit scared of treating the pregnant patient as like from a, essentially like a liability standpoint, you know, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, there's merit to being cautious, uh, but I think that it, I think it's really doing a disservice to patients who are in the most like the diversity of the biomechanical changes that happen during pregnancy and in the first postpartum year are the only other time when you see that much change is in the first year of life. Mm. And so for a chiropractor to not be part of that, I think is a huge mistake. So I think people think that pregnant patients are like, you need to be more cautious. Well, you need to pay attention, but if you're really good at palpating and adjusting, you're not gonna adjust a hypermobile SI joint on a pregnant patient because it's hypermobile. You don't need to adjust it. And so I think there's a lot of like, oh, well, you know, and you're not even going to find restrictions in them because they're so hypermobile because of all the relaxing. Eh, I definitely am finding things that need to be adjusted on my pregnant patients. And, um, you know, and I also think that there's, uh, as a society, like not, not even in the manual therapy world, I think as a society, we tend to have a complete backwards view where we want pregnant people to like, we're going to take care of you and we're going to go above and beyond and, and, oh, do you want me to carry that for you? Mm-hmm. And then the postpartum time period, we're like, okay, well, you're ready to go back to the gym and like get in your jeans again. Like it's just, right. it's a complete mm-hmm. bullshit way of looking at what's happening because <clears throat> hormonally speaking, prenatally, you're like a freaking superhero. Mm. Like you have enough within you to keep 
at least two humans alive with just your own body. Right. Like that's pretty amazing. And then in the postpartum time period, your entire core has been completely rocked. You brought another person into the world. Like all of your tissues were stretched to max capacity and or you had major abdominal surgery on the same day that you gave birth to a human. And now you're figuring out how to feed said human with your body or trying to figure out how to feed said human when you can't use your body to do it. Like there's so, so many different things about the way that we look at it where we're like, oh, this, you know, like really coddling the pregnant woman and then in the postpartum period like expecting her to bounce back and I just I hate that terminology and I hate that that's the way that we treat people Mm -hmm. um and so I really kind of work to educate my patients on like enjoy the like extra attention that you're getting when you're pregnant for sure like if somebody wants to get the door for you absolutely but like in the postpartum period you you have to ask for that because people aren't really willing to go above and beyond to kind of like help you land Mm. um and and encouraging them to slow down the postpartum time period because you know cognitively speaking after giving birth like you have the ability to walk but you don't have the core stability to hold yourself upright Mm -hmm. and so like slowing down the postpartum time period is something that like i I feel like that's a huge misconception that you know five minutes ago when you asked me a question um like like, what we need to like revert but that's one of those things that like i'm completely changing the way that you know a patient walks in and they're like okay well you know i don't know if maybe i should be lifting because i'm pregnant and i'm like uh, well strength training is an absolute part of creating a more robust musculoskeletal system that is going to help you through pregnancy in the laboring process and in the postpartum time period and then in the postpartum time period do not go to the gym at six weeks Mm. like Mm. you have no business running when you're peeing your pants right (laughs) you know and so a lot of what i think we get oh so they get it kind of backwards oh 100 yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I think we get as a society i think we get kind of miseducated about that right. and i think a lot of it is just because you know historically speaking like y'all haven't been in birth right but like the first time that i saw somebody breastfeed was when i was planning to give birth you know like i never saw anybody nursing mm-hmm. so like I didn't know what that experience was gonna be like. And there's so much really, really amazing reflex stimulation that happens with nursing. Mm -hmm. Like the breast crawl, when babies are born, they cannot crawl yet, but they will breast crawl. Mm -hmm. And it's all of their infant motor reflexes that allow them to get there. And so like seeing that stuff take place and knowing like, wow, I have tools to like help facilitate this. That's amazing. Absolutely. Well, we always say too, like our pregnant population is so underserved because the, the Western med community really doesn't have an answer for them. Right. Musculoskeletal pain, dysfunction. I mean, it's not like you can just pop ibuprofen your whole pregnancy for your low back pain. You would be surprised <laughs> at how many of them are getting that advice from their OBs, though. Mm-hmm. Where they're like, okay, well, you know, we could put you on a, like a low dose of codeine. Excuse me? Right. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of them are taking Tylenol, but there's been research about how negatively that affects the fetus. Sure. And we're still doing it. Mm. And so if you can, like, you know, getting connected to midwives and OBs, that's been that's been huge because they want to help their patients, but they don't have any tools to be able to do that. Right. So if they, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, the, I have a um, an OB practice that refers me a lot of patients, and the one OB knows me, and the rest of them just say, oh, yeah, Dr. Wynn knows somebody. And mm. so they all, through her, refer to me because they want to help their patients. They, mm-hmm. they don't want pregnant women walking around in pain all day. Uh, you know, and I, I don't think they feel good when they say, well, it'll go away when the baby gets here. Sure. You know, I, I think they're trying to maybe be encouraging about it, but it probably doesn't feel good. Like, oh, well, if you wait six months, it'll go away. And it doesn't. The research on it's fascinating that 
50% of women who had low back pain during pregnancy, they still have back pain one year after childbirth. So the thought that, oh, once you have the baby, your back pain goes right. away, actually, that's not that's not right. It's A, not true, and B, it's just kind of rude. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, right. It's just right. like, oh, well, suck it up, buttercup. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Fingers crossed things are going to get better. Yeah, yeah exactly. But if, if you think about it biomechanically, you know, the gross motor changes that happen during pregnancy, well, so you have this this these huge adaptations that occur over 40 plus weeks of being pregnant and like the rib cage widens by as much as seven inches that's huge change right and then you think about what impact that has on the diaphragm and then we're changing the juxtaposition of like where the core is Mm. and so you've got this ginormous expansion that's happening all the biomechanical changes that are happening are destabilizing the core Mm. So then in the postpartum time period, oh, six, six weeks postpartum, you got a green light, go ahead, have sex, go run, do whatever you want to, you're good to go. You have absolutely no core stabilization. You yeah. haven't rebuilt that. So then of course, a year postpartum, you're gonna have low back pain still mm-hmm. because your core was destabilized and then you just added load to it. Right, right. That's not really a recipe for success. Mm-hmm. And that's not even talking about the, the females that don't have low back pain, but still have incontinence, they have right? leaking, they have things like that that are still in that same picture. And so uh, we had a conversation before we left for dinner about uh, that you have a pelvic PT with you now. And so how how does that then route the postpartum female look in in your practice or or how how does that population need to be served better or, um, you know, maybe maybe expand on that a little bit? Well, so technically, I mean, I don't know when this gets released, but she's not in my office yet. She's coming. Okay. Okay. (laughs) This month is is when she's coming. Jinxed. Um, (laughs) God bless it. We'll wait. Um, (laughs) She gone. But um, I mean, it's not going to change anything other than instead of referring her out, mm-hmm. I'm going to refer her down the hall. Yeah. Let me, it. let me reword that question. You don't mind. So wh- who are you not getting better that she will get better? Uh, that is not at all what I do with my pelvic PT referrals. Actually. Um, that definitely is something that I will refer to if I'm not seeing the type of results that mm-hmm. I want to get, but I refer all of my postpartum patients to pelvic PT. Mm. That's interesting. That's, yeah, okay. that's, yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Like across the board, I think uh, like in, in my perfect world, all pregnancy would see a chiropractor and a pelvic PT during their pregnancy. So a lot of pelvic PTs will not do internal work during pregnancy, which like may or may not be indicated. If it's indicated, I think that that's, you know, it's mm-hmm. up to the PT and whatever <laughs> malpractice insurance they have, if that's something that they're sure. gonna do. Yeah. Um, but even just like breaking down the barrier of, I don't need this resource yet and I'm gonna meet you and I'm gonna look you in the eyes and I'm gonna see who you are, I'm gonna establish a relationship with you so that in the postpartum time period when I'm sleep deprived, when I'm trying to figure out nursing and what the heck I'm peeing my pants, Mm -hmm. now there's not one more barrier to entry of like I have to go meet who, Mm. you know? And so I, I would love it if they saw a pelvic PT during their pregnancy. And then for all of the aforementioned reasons, see a chiropractor during their pregnancy. And I think that in the postpartum time period, chiropractic and pelvic PT I mean, they would just make a huge, huge, huge difference. And so it's like pelvic PT, is that just insinuating internal work or she's doing other things besides that? So ideally internal work, um, I'm not doing any internal assessment and there are a lot of injuries that happen within the pelvic floor. Like even, so I will talk to patients about this. It doesn't matter if you have like this beautiful serene birth like by a creek and you've got a baby deer as your midwife and like there's a squirrel (laughs) for your doula and like you're just like chilling and then you have this lotus birth and your placenta is attached for like three days and like everything is super zen like you still had a traumatic experience of a baby coming out of your vagina 
And so like, it's a huge tissue inflammatory response that's gonna happen. You're gonna get the same recommendation at six weeks as someone who had a planned vaginal birth, labored for 24 hours, and then had an emergency C-section. Six weeks, good to go, Yeah. right? So there's so much completely unknown about the internal tissues that I think it's a really good idea to have an internal assessment. Mm. Now, a lot of people aren't gonna take me up on that. I'm still gonna refer them. Sure. And then I'm all, like, it also just kind of opens up the conversation of maybe you don't tell your chiropractor that you're peeing your pants. Mm. But when your chiropractor brings up that I recommend that all of my postpartum patients go and see a pelvic PT, that brings in more conversation about what is to be expected because they've been hearing for years about how, oh, well, after you have kids, you just cross your legs every time you sneeze, you know? And so we we get conditioned into thinking like, oh, this is just a normal part of having kids. Well, there's nothing normal about not being able to hold your bladder. Mm -hmm. Once you've been potty trained, that's no longer a normal thing, right? I mean, it's it's a serious problem in our society. Apparently, about 40% of people who go into a nursing home go there because of incontinence. Wow. So, like, if you cannot handle your bladder, that's going to crap out on you in a literal and figurative way. It's going to crap out at some point. And then you're going to be needing to be in assisted living for that. Like, that's a huge quality of life issue. You think it's no big deal. It's just, well, it's just if if my bladder's full and then I sneeze or if I laugh or if I run or if, uh, okay, let's investigate what that is, you know? Mm -hmm. And maybe it's simply a a respiratory issue, Mm -hmm. you know? Breathing changes significantly during pregnancy. I reteach my patients, even if they've been patients of mine way before ever deciding that they were going to conceive. And they're like excellent breathers. In the postpartum time period, they might as well be infants. We're gonna start from the beginning and I'm gonna reteach you how to breathe because your whole body just went through like a giant reset and what an opportunity, right? right? Like you think about athletes who take a time, like they get injured or they get sick or something like that and they actually decide then that they're gonna rehab that thing that they've left alone for a while. Mm. Like what an opportunity. Postpartum is a great opportunity to reset some of your motor patterns and like give you a new clean slate to start from. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Um, and then from that idea, I guess, then what's the transition look like for your patients that maybe were in the gym that at that six week mark, maybe they're ready to start working out and stuff. What's the education like for them to, to start that transition? It's basically just like a slow your roll kind of conversation. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, there's like, there's such a mental outlet for people to be able to go to the gym and also Mm -hmm. like there's community there especially Mm -hmm. like in those kind of like small boutique fitness like Mm -hmm. crossfit gyms and things like that where like this is this this is my community they're at the gym and i want to go to the gym and i feel good when i work out and i'm really tired and i'm you know i'm stressed to like infinite amounts right now and i don't Mm -hmm. really know what's going on and i don't know which way is up and the one thing that feels normal is to go to the gym well if you can't stand on one leg without having your you know, pelvis cave and like you're right. not able to have any stability, then what business do you have putting load on that? Right, doing like, 50 overhead snatches or doing... <laughs> yes, exactly. And so like the conversation that I have, ideally that's happening during my prenatal visits. Mm-hmm. Like, and the world is not perfect and I see plenty of people who are like four months postpartum and they're like, my knees are killing me and I've got this like aching low back pain and 
oh yeah, on your questionnaire, you asked me if I pee myself. I, I mean, yeah, but like, doesn't every mom, mm -hmm. you know? And so that, that is a harder conversation than the six week conversation because the six week conversation, if I can, if I can talk to you about why it's not appropriate to go for a run right now and, and how I can help you set up a foundation to be able to go for a run when it is appropriate. But I don't recommend that any of my patients before three months postpartum are running. Mm. And just because you've met the three month mark doesn't mean that it's appropriate to start running now. Like if you have no base of stability, it doesn't make any sense to run. So many of my patients love to run. Hmm. I want to get you back out there as much as you want to be out there. I just want to get you out there in a way that allows you to continue running. I want you to have a long career of running for however long you want to when you're ready. When you're so ready. if I get them at that six week mark and we're talking about like, okay, so you're ready to start activity. Great. I have a postpartum rehab class and it slows them the hell down. Mm. Like they think that they're signing up for like, okay, yeah, we're gonna like grind, we're gonna get after Boot it. Boot camp and, and like, like, yeah. Okay, you're gonna lay down for five minutes and breathe with your diaphragm mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, yeah. you know, and, and there, there are so many emotional things that, that happen with birth that a lot of people, so like first time moms, like they're like, they're like no longer a maiden. Like there's mm. like this huge archetypical change that happens where they're like, oh shit, I'm a, I'm a mom now. And like, this is a different, like I'm a new person. This is a completely different person than who I was before I gave birth. And like, before I got pregnant, like, and, and all of those changes. And so like spending time breathing allows them to kind of visit those thoughts in a way that they haven't before. And so I, like, there are just huge changes that happen that aren't just biomechanical. They're not just physiological changes. Um, and we need to, allow space for that to sort of unfold. So I have a, a six week postpartum rehab class. It is not a six week, like get your body back, any sort of that nonsense mm -hmm. crap. It's, yeah. it's literally six weeks of like, let's set a foundation. Let's do some DNS movements. Yeah. Let's figure out how to actually breathe. Let's figure out what it means to mobilize your TL junction, which is where they put an epidural. Mm -hmm. So now you've got scar tissue as your posterior diaphragm. Well, that's not going to work out very well. And so many people don't realize that they have aberrant sensation right over the epidural site until I palpate it. I'm like, can you feel this? They're like, oh, that feels weird. Like the, the official term is that they get the heebie-jeebies. Mm -hmm. um, but so, you know, like having them work through some scar tissue mobilization. And if they've, if they've had an abdominal surgery, a mm -hmm. major abdominal surgery that doesn't come with any post-op PT, mm -hmm. what? Yeah. On the day that they give birth. Like that's, it's wild. Mm -hmm. So for babies who come out the sunroof, you know, we're working on some <clears throat> abdominal massage and, uh, but like in, like some, some women are not ready to touch their scar. Right. Like they, they, they can't, they don't want to look at it. They don't want to touch it. Yeah. So we're just going to give them a little bit of time. We're going to breathe. We're going to breathe into it. When you're ready, we can touch it. It's just, it's a slowdown, so. Yeah. What's the uh, continuum of care? Let's just say there's no like acute episodes of any pain syndromes during pregnancy. So do you recommend like, you like to follow up with these patients? You know, how often do you not follow up with them? What's the plan? And then after the birth, then when do you follow up postpartum? Like what's kind of your- Typical. Your typical for the people that not, are not necessarily in pain. Yeah, so if, if you're having an asymptomatic pregnancy, I'd love to see you twice in the first trimester, right? So that a trimester, for listeners who are not aware, 12-ish weeks, mm -hmm. okay? So <clears throat> I'm gonna see you 
once every six weeks is what that looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Like let's let's check in. Your squat at six weeks is going to be different than your squat at twelve weeks right. because your biomechanics are changing so rapidly. And so if you're just continuing to do what it is that you're doing at the gym, I want to know what that looks like mm-hmm. because that's changing. Um, weeks. So then in the second trimester, probably once a month. Um, weeks 25 to 32 is typically when baby gets into the vertex position and so i it is outside of my scope of practice to palpate a baby's position um so i ask them to ask their provider uh baby's position and they providers do not typically tell baby's position unless the patient asks um until like 36 weeks usually um and so i ask them to ask their provider because that is typically when baby gets into their position is like between 25 and 32 weeks and so during that time if we don't know baby's position i might see them a little bit more frequently just to make sure that everything's balanced um you know we want to make and and so i'll kind of like draw their attention to what they may be doing that's asymptomatic like completely asymmetrical in their activity. So like me personally, I always adjust thoracics from the left side of the table. Uh-huh. During my pregnancy, I also adjusted from the right side of the table. Mm. Just to like prevent myself from having way too much tone on one side as opposed to another. Um, and so, and like when I would do split jerks, mm-hmm. I would alternate legs, sure. which feels super weird until like and i literally don't remember what my dominant leg was because i did so much like opposition training <laughs> Just a little are you, goal. Are yeah. you bragging now? <laughs> no but like i, I don't i mean, i don't brag. split jerk as much as i used to okay thank you for the pat on the back um <laughs> but like i i i want to know what they're doing in their daily lives that might create a little bit of asymmetry in their body because asymmetry in the body includes what's happening within the uterus. Sure. So if you're always like leaning to your right, well then baby's going to move to the left just because like it's a real estate issue now. <laughs> and so, um, so, you know, I may see them a little bit more between 25 to 32 weeks and then 32 to 40 plus, uh, just a side note, babies are not late if they're not born after, like if they're not born at 40 weeks, they're not late. They are mm-hmm. technically not they're not past their due date until they're uh, over 42 weeks pregnant. And everybody is so used to that 40 week, like mm. it's like a library book, like it's overdue now. Yeah. You have to check out, go. right? Um, but so between 32 and 42 weeks, it it kind of varies depending on what's going on, but I would recommend once every three weeks to uh, 36 to 42 weeks, I say usually once a week. Nice. And then the postpartum time period, if they're feeling great, I tell them to make their first outing to come and see me at two weeks postpartum. Two weeks. If they're not feeling great, if baby's latch isn't great, if they're having any issues with feeding, I will do a home visit if they want me to. Um, And if it's reasonable, I mean, like I have some patients who travel from really far and I'm not going to go do a home visit for them as much as I love them. Um, But they can, uh, they can come in before that. I just, you know, like stay at home, don't put any clothes on. Be naked with your baby, let them do the, the breast crawl, you know, and like kind of figure out your family dynamic, right. like introduce your dog to your baby and all of that. Like right. <laughs> you don't, you don't need to go anywhere. <laughs> the important stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, if you're having issues, like, please call me. Sure. Um, but I recommend that they make their first outing at two weeks postpartum. And then we just go from there, yeah. you know, like if at two weeks postpartum, they've got, you know, they had an epidural and so we're working on scar tissue mobilization, or if they had a C-section, then it's going to be a little bit more, uh, 
it, it's going to be more intense by being slower rehab. Mm. You know, they have more healing to do. Um, and, and, you know, that's a post-op patient and a postpartum patient. And so there's, there's a bit more rehab that goes into that. Um, and then, you know, ideally I get them into a postpartum rehab course. If they don't want to do it, I'm like, that's fine. You're right. just going to pay me more because we're going to do the things right. in person as opposed to you doing them on your own. So, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Who are the icons of the people that you've really looked up to in women's health? Like who are, I kind of, I probably have a pretty good idea of like, as far as like uh, manipulation, DNS, et cetera. So, but in women's health, like who are the names? What are the textbooks? Like, where did you educate yourself on everything that you know? <sighs> I really wish that there was like a concise answer to this because like the way that MPI is such a gateway for recognizing other modalities that can be helpful. Like I wish that that existed for a functional birth model mm. because like, so deep dive here, if you want to just like start listing off some things. So, uh, Tony Weschler wrote a book called taking charge of your fertility, which like I would recommend for any person. So regardless of if you want to get pregnant, just figuring out the the fluctuations of the female cycle. Mm. I didn't know that stuff until I wanted to get pregnant. Mm. You know, like I knew that I couldn't get pregnant the whole month, but I was supposed to take birth control every day. Mm. Like, it, and that didn't make sense to me, but I didn't really understand like what all changes were happening within my body and like recognizing that there are like cervical positioning changes and like cervical mucus changes that happen. I think that's valuable information for a healthcare provider to have because it's, uh, there's a book called the fifth vital sign. And it's literally talking about like your, your cervical health is actually like one of your vitals that mm. lets you know what's going on. Um, uh, Dr. Christian Northrup, she wrote the book Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom, and she's kind of like a pioneer. She's like like a functional OB before that was at all a thing. Um, she's kind of an OG. Um, but she was on like Oprah's top 10 book list, you know, and I don't know. She, not enough people know about her. She's mm -hmm. kind of awesome. Um, Elisa Vitti has done a lot of, um, she wrote the book Woman Code, and in the flow, those are two of her books, and she talks a little bit about like that cyclical health type of thing. Um, so those three are kind of like female cycle. Tony mm -hmm. Weschler, Christian Northrup, um, and Elisa Vitti. Um, and then uh, in terms of like childbirth stuff, Ina Mae Gaskin is amazing. She's like the grandmother of modern midwifery. She's incredible. Um, they have the farm in Tennessee where they have a 4% transfer rate. So if you go to the farm, it's like having a home birth, but you're like living on this commune because that's like, she was a hippie and she attended the births of the hippies who were moving across the country. Um, and like they, you know, they, they just kind of screen their patients. And if, if you are a good candidate for a home birth, their transfer rate to the hospital is 4%. That doesn't mean that 4% of those patients are getting a C-section. Like our C-section rate is about a third. Right. 4% of those patients are even transferring to the hospital. And the number one reason for transfer to a hospital from a home birth is exhaustion. Mm. So it's just to give mom like some meds so that she can rest or whatever. Sure, uh, yeah. um, but Ina Mae Gaskin, and she has several books. Uh, Penny Simkin, she's actually a PT. She has some really good information. Um, in the chiropractic world, Jeannie Ohm, who uh, passed away last year, she, uh, oh my goodness, two years ago, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, she really did a lot for uh, awareness. Awareness, yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. 
Um, and it, you know, I mean, like Webster is, it's a, a great assessment. It's an assessment that I use. I trust my hands more than I trust a protocol driven approach, but it's, you know, it's really wonderful. And like right. my patients have no idea what Webster is, but they know that they're supposed to see a Webster certified chiropractor when they're pregnant. Right. Um, cause you know, their cousin told them or whatever. Um, and so she did a lot of great things for awareness of chiropractic and pregnancy, I think. Uh, so that was, that was helpful, you know, and I, I learned some things from her. Um, and I don't know, I, I just, you know, I read a lot of like little AJ league things and like breastfeeding. And there's actually, there's a, I, I gotta remember who wrote it, but there's, um, I send it to all of my patients. There's uh, an online magazine, it's called Mothering. And it talks about all of the reflex stimulation and the breast crawl mm -hmm. and how laid back nursing is the biologically appropriate way to feed your baby because we get taught how to breastfeed the way that people teach you how to bottle feed. Mm -hmm. So laid back nursing actually allows for babies reflex patterns to play out to allow them to nurse more efficiently. Hmm. which is pretty freaking cool. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really been like kind of a process of discovery. And then just like talking to midwives, talking hmm. to OBs, talking to doulas. Um, Dr. Erica Boland, honestly, is like a freaking pioneer in all of this stuff. She was uh, like, I, so Erica is one of my best friends. And, and I. she was an MPI rep. She was an MPI and, rep. Yeah. And she I is mean, currently in midwifery school. She's just a freaking hmm. badass. Um, and she, she's a doula. And so she, uh, I called her. Uh, the, I was like, hey, I peed on a stick yesterday. And I'm supposed to test my one rep max back squat today. Like, what are your thoughts on that? You know, like, because like, at the time she had three kids. And, um, I, you know, I was just like, what, what do we think about this? And, and so uh, she was really excited. You know, it was my, my first pregnancy. But I just, there was like not enough guidance on what being athletic during pregnancy looked like. And there's been a an absolute explosion of it in the past couple of years. And I think social media has been really helpful for that because like people at my gym were posting pictures of me in 2012 working out and like a whole bunch of people commenting like, oh my God, is that safe? Like, what did you think I was doing like a thousand years ago? Was right. I just like sitting in a cave? <laughs> like, yeah. I, you know, um, but, but one of the things about there being this kind of explosion of information about working out during pregnancy is that a lot of it is just bogus. Mm. Like a lot of, and, and we don't have great research on right. pregnancy because it's not really super ethical to be like, well, why don't you try it? Why don't you not? Let's see who doesn't die. Like right. that's not really a great approach. So what are the no-goes for exercise during pregnancy? I mean, so what are the things that you, cause I, yeah, I mean, I remember seeing the videos and yeah, yeah they were awesome. So like, so what are the things that you, for example, wouldn't recommend or so, I mean, are there any guidelines? Or yeah. So actually, uh, 2012, there was a book that came out by James Clapp and Marissa Cram, I think. I always say James Clapp, James Clapp, and then I forget the other, uh, the, the at all people. Um, Clap at all. Uh, but the book's called Exercising Through Your Pregnancy. It's got like the cheesiest cover. It's like a woman in a velour suit, like fake running. Anyway, um, <laughs> but the book is freaking gold. Like huh. redo the cover, but the book is absolute gold because it actually goes over contraindications. So like if there's bleeding and we don't know the source of it, absolutely do not work out because we don't know what's going on. So we're going to figure out what's going on. Now, if there's bleeding and, and, and we actually have, like we know it's not like a, 
hemorrhage of, of some sort, like you, it actually is possible that you can work out. He did, so what he did was study, it was like 2,500 or something. So like decent <laughs> study size, not huge, but he, it was people who were already choosing to work out and people who were choosing not to. Mm. And so he was like, okay, we're gonna follow what they're doing. And um, like no increased risk of starting a new exercise regimen. So many people think that you can just keep doing what you were doing. Well, what if what you were doing was like rope climbs or skydiving? Like what if that was your exercise (laughs) regimen? Like should you keep doing that? You know, like you just, you kind of have to think about like what is your, like how are you gonna mitigate risk here? Well, I'm right. probably not gonna climb to the top of the rope. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm not gonna skydive. I don't feel comfortable doing that when I'm pregnant. Or if you're like, a climber, if you're a- Right, yeah, you, I yeah. mean, you kind of have to think about like what those things are. He found that there was absolutely no increased risk to mother or baby if they started a new exercise regimen during pregnancy, which is a freaking game changer. It is. Because so many women have been told like, oh, we'll just keep doing what you're doing. Well, they're in their second trimester and they're like, well, I meant to start running and then I found out I got pregnant and then I got super sick and now I just, I, I can't do anything for the rest of my pregnancy. Well, you're about to run a marathon and you've got a 40 week training period during which you can prepare for a marathon or you can sit on your couch. Right. Right. My first labor start to finish was 40 hours. Oh my God. Okay. I did a half Ironman. That's like my biggest, you know, like claim to fame of like activities that I've done. It was six and a half hours. I'm totally bragging, but it was six and a half hours. Like done. That was nothing. Right. It was nothing. (laughs) I I thought that was like a very large athletic endeavor. No, it wasn't. (laughs) Like I, so like to not prepare physically for that is asinine to me. Yeah. Because you, and the other thing is, that's a good way to think about. I've actually never. Yeah, no, it's really good because I mean, there's OBs in our area that say that. Well, as long as you're exercising now, keep going. But if you're not, don't do it. Yeah, send them a copy of the stupid cover, but maybe maybe an e copy. There you go. (laughs) I got you this on Kindle. But like, there's there's no risk to starting that. They, the things that I say are just kind of a common sense approach of like, okay, are we going to be doing a bunch of sagittal plane? flexion exercises no because at the end of pregnancy 100 percent of pregnant patients have a diastasis of the rectus abdominis muscle bellies Mm -hmm. so what do we need to train not flexion right right we got the the rectus abdominis muscles are literally not in the same position that they Mm -hmm. were prior to pregnancy nor in the same position that they will be in the postpartum time period so why do we need to train what we use those muscles the most for Mm -hmm. So, because oftentimes people would be like, oh, okay, well, I can't do toes to bar, so I'll just do knees to elbow. It's not about the range of motion. It's about the actual the mechanics actual of the movement. <laughs> That's you know? such a crossfit. Yeah, it's, it it's, so seriously. Good. And I mean, okay, I did full toes to bar in my first pregnancy because I was like, I, I mean, I can rehab this postpartum. <laughs> What's the worst that can happen? The worst, like, can happen, <laughs> the right? worst that can happen. <laughs> uh, I was such an idiot. But I was, I was just like, I can do anything. And, you know, like, it it was, like, helpful that people were like, oh, my God, you just kicked my ass in that workout. And I can't even believe you're pregnant. But, like, I was like, yeah, I feel amazing. So I really needed somebody to just, like, smack me in the face and be like, Lindsay, slow down. You're growing a human. Mm -hmm. But I I felt amazing. Like, I accidentally PR'd my back squat when I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, whoops. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't trying to do that. But I just felt really good. I didn't realize that I had put on more weight. You know, like, I just want to add a little bit of weight. That feels good. Add a little bit more weight. Uh Then the postpartum time period, like, oh, 
no, I really do need to slow down. Yeah. <laughs> this is... Yeah, well, I think in, in like, you're a good example of uh, you're a healthy individual. So, I mean, not all pregnancies are, are like that or like the, that pregnancy period. And right. so kind of what you talked about earlier, just like being there for your patients to support them through those times. So maybe they do have difficulties. Maybe they are like going crazy and like, holy shit, I feel amazing. Like, you know, to be able to give them a pep talk. I think that was like a really good transition point of like being there for your patients, meeting them where they're at and then having them, you know, if you don't have the answers, you having people in your stable that do have the answers or having resources for them and stuff like that. Yeah, so, I don't know everything. That is for freaking sure. Yeah. I'm asking questions all the time, yeah. you know? And like my second pregnancy, I was probably more healthy than I was in my first pregnancy and I was like getting migraines and mm. I was just like lethargic and like my arms got fat I was mm. like what is happening mm. <laughs> like what what this is a completely different experience and like <laughs> I I was I was very grateful for that experience because I was expecting it to be more like my first mm -hmm. my second pregnancy was just so much harder like I was I was still working out like I I was doing like three to four days a week probably but I was like okay I'm gonna be smart about my workouts and then I was like maybe I need to kick it up a notch. Why are my arms fat? Like yeah, <laughs> what's right. going on here? But I just, and so I was, I was actually convinced that my second was a girl because I was like, this is such a different pregnancy, but every single pregnancy is different. And so that's what like, I continue to be able to learn from my patients because mm. I, even yeah. though I know that their next experience is going to be different when they come in and they tell me about like how it's different, then that's just like more information for me to, to figure out like, oh, okay. So in your last pregnancy, this was possible and this was fine and in this pregnancy it's a little bit different. Um, but that's the, that's the other thing too, like general rules of thumb when you were talking about like, you know, exercise that you, sh you can or cannot do. Um, my friend Mel says that, uh, you know, exercise during your pregnancy is kind of, like you, you have to have the mentality of like the, ability to do something is not necessarily the license to do it because like you have the ability to put a fork in a microwave it doesn't mean it's a good idea hmm. so right. like just because you can do something doesn't mean that you have Should. to do something yeah. um and so uh being aware of like what your body's response is so like running during my first pregnancy felt great hmm. like all the way through the third trimester i felt totally fine to run i had no discomfort no pelvic floor issues i felt fantastic running in my second trimester of my second pregnancy, I was like, well, that's out. Mm. I just feel like crap when I run. Like that's no longer a comfortable exercise for me to do. And it's not because biomechanically speaking, there was anything wrong with it. It just no longer felt like a good activity. And so one of the other things is just like helping patients figure out how to be able to listen to their body because they get told that a lot. Like, oh, well just listen to your body and you'll know what to do. Mm -hmm. But they have never spent any time at all like associating into their body and like they can't feel mm -hmm. themselves right. to get the feedback to know, right? And so just like asking more questions about like, well, how did you feel when you did that? How did you feel immediately after? How did you feel later in the day? And, like opening them up to like different times and places where they can kind of check in and find out, oh yeah, you know what? I did actually feel worse later in the day after I ran. Well, that's interesting. Sure. I felt fine to run. But then, yeah. And now this is a pattern. Mm. Every time I run by 4 p.m., I feel like crap. Sure. Good to know. Yeah. Well, I think that the, that this is like a, we, we're a little bit over on our time than oh, what we God, usually we do. But it. no, uh, but it, it's important to know because, uh, I mean, it's interesting for me for sure because I think you gave some really good insights for, obviously, I'm not a female. I don't have the ability to carry a human being inside me. And so uh, sometimes it's difficult to meet my pregnant patients where they're at, but I think you gave some really good tools for me for sure to take away to, to meet those patients where they're at and to uh, to better understand kind of what they're going through. So yeah. me personally, I thank you for that. But uh, my pleasure. so uh, Lindsay, what how, so if our 
our listeners want to contact you, maybe they want to shout at you, do stuff like that. Uh, we understand, we found out tonight you work off a flip phone, so we understand text messages, <laughs> pro- text messages probably aren't the best. I don't know, do you have to pay? Is it 99 cents a text message? Or like, <laughs> Texting is great. However, I'm not giving out my cell phone no. I'm freaking boundary. No. So uh, what's the best way to uh, get a hold of you we'll to learn more information? Yeah, show. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> to, to get a hold of you to, uh, uh, to, to ask more questions or besides uh, following you on the MPI circuit and stuff yeah. like that. Um, two things. First, I do want to say this is what you said about being a male and like not being able to like having a difficult time meeting your patients there. The majority of OBs are males. Mm-hmm. So like any male practitioners that I talk to, like I'm just going to remind you of that. Mm-hmm. They have no problem meeting their female patients in a birthing situation. Mm-hmm. You can absolutely work with mm-hmm. female pregnant postpartum patients and like do a wonderful job. Sure. If you're able to hold space and you're able to be a fantastic clinician, it doesn't matter if you can or cannot do what they can do. Yeah. Brett can't do half the stuff that all of his like insane <laughs> level athletes can do, but he can take really great care of them. Okay, I think right? that was a slight. It was a little bit of a slap. <laughs> but like, right? No, like you yeah, don't you're have right. to be you're an elite level right. athlete to be able to take care of elite, elite level athletes. You don't have to be pregnant in order to be able to take care of pregnant patients. So that's that. That's awesome. Now, if you would like to get in touch with me, um, if you want to come shadow me, I, I love having shadows at the office. It's super fun. Um, and I'm, I'm not close to a chiropractic college. So like, I'm just like begging people to come hang out. <laughs> like I have no friends. Like, please come hang out with me. Me and you both, sister. <laughs> Uh, But Triangle CRC is, um, that is the at for our Instagram, that is our website, that is info at Triangle CRC is where you're going to send an email. Um, Or you can follow me at Lindsay Muma. Um, I'm currently not on social media because I needed to uh, take a a technology break after getting a concussion, but uh, I'll be back on there sometime. Nice. So we'll link that in the show notes, uh, all all those informations. And uh, we just thank you for sitting down. Uh, You're an absolute savage. The the thing that nobody knows about Lindsay is she's an amazing jester. I was uh, just going to say that. We (laughs) went the whole time not talking about, Uh, Yeah. is the MPI board, they were like, you know, we need to grow. And then we were obviously needing another female. And I mean, the name that just just kept coming up was Lindsay Muma. How do we get her? How do we get her? And uh, and I had you as a, as a student when you were a rep. And you know, I mean, none of this is a surprise to me to see mm-hmm. uh, her success. That is for sure. Yeah, so. definitely. So we're uh, we're we're lucky. I can't wait to uh, learn from you more tomorrow. Uh, we we got some more stuff to, to cover tomorrow in the full spine class for MPI, and uh, it's just amazing. Like I always I I, I always you know you lay at lay at night and think about uh, the things that have gotten you where you are, and it's funny how MPI always is the center of pretty much everything we all do, and 100%. so uh, it. it it all kind of full, it comes back full circle, and uh, so I'm super grateful and thankful for the MPI family, the community. And so, uh, with that being said, uh, Lindsay, thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, good luck on the weekend, guys, and uh, get ready to crush patients on Monday. Super Bowl tomorrow. Let's go, go Chiefs. <laughs>